You want to launch a tech business. You're already familiar with popular methodologies like the Lean Startup, and you're ready for the race that is entrepreneurship. But now you encounter barriers, stopping you in your tracks and jeopardizing your dream. Let's look at how to beat those odds. In a world that is run by Silicon Valley, how do we, women entrepreneurs, create businesses that change, inspire, and move this world for the better without being held back by the hurdles and obstacles the tech industry often throws our way? How do we create the impact we want and realize our full potential by leveraging technology to work for us, not against us? This show cuts through the status quo and is your guide to exploring technology confidently. Welcome to Cutting Through Tech. I'm your host, Maxine Kramer, and I'm on a mission to secure the digital future for us by doubling the number of female-founded tech businesses. I'm a software engineer, designer, coach, and consultant who's worked on apps that have had over a million downloads in a day and featured in Apple retail stores all across the world. I work with female founders, entrepreneurs just like you, to maximize their impact by creating world-class software-based businesses. I'm a woman, I'm in tech, and I'm the CEO of a business that is looking to make a mark. Stay tuned because on this show, technology becomes as simple as everyday English, removing the barriers so you can think, strategize, and execute like a female tech CEO. This is episode 27, How to Beat the Startup Odds. Hello and welcome. So wonderful you're joining me today in this episode. Also wanted to thank you all for your lovely feedback on last week's episode with Marcia Kilgore. If you haven't listened to it yet, and you're working on a direct-to-consumer product idea using technology to help you reach your customers, you'll want to give it a listen. But on to today's topic, which is all about beating the startup odds. A few weeks ago, I was asked to contribute an article to Startups Magazine's September issue, which is dedicated to women in tech. Now, I was really honored and inquired a bit more about what it was that they had in mind. And the brief was actually pretty straightforward. How to start a tech business, but for a female audience. So let me tell you, I wrote several drafts and outlines. And what I realized I was getting stuck on in that process was that I didn't just want to tell the story of how typically tech businesses are started. Usually we can kind of find that information. But when you start coming across hurdles in the process, what do you do then? Because these are the things I talk about with my clients. Like the other week, I was talking to a founder that was really struggling to make sense of the website that was built for her and was now looking for a new developer to fix the bugs and the issues. And she was really struggling with how to express the job requirements and also how to evaluate the candidates. Another one of my clients was facing challenges around narrowing the scope of the product and how to figure out what her customers would really want. These are just some of the hurdles that you'll get past as you move through the lifespan of your, you know, young business. 
So let's look at some of the topics I ended up covering in that article today. Now, often female founders come to me and express a real need for a service that is rooted in personal stories and experiences. Think of Kim Palmer, the founder of Clementine, who experienced anxiety and found that hypnotherapy worked really well for her. She then proceeded to package that kind of treatment into an app to great success. So your idea might also stem from your personal experience and observations. The real question that I ask all my clients is, is this enough of an issue to enough people out there to turn this into a profitable business? A common error is to make assumptions and leave them unchallenged because the assumptions are good, but the lack of research, not so much. No one expects you to have all the answers up front, but you want to think deeply about what problem is solved by this service or product? Who's your customer? How much of an issue is this to them really? And how are they already solving it today, if at all? How will you compete with the tools or things that they're using and what sets you apart? For example, there is a book called How Kale Competes with Coffee or How Coffee Competes with Kale. And in that, the concept is that you would think those two have nothing to do with each other, but they are both kind of breakfast drinks. And so people who have a need to energize themselves in the morning and want to drink something, in that scenario, coffee very well might compete with kale. The caffeine in coffee is energizing, but then again, the vitamins in the kale juice is really nutritious. So they are a bit different, but they kind of fulfill a similar purpose. So how will you compete and what sets you apart? These aren't questions to discourage you, but rather do the opposite. They help you highlight what your key difference is, your USP, if you will, and refine the proposition until it's clear to you and the people you work with and your customers in terms of why your product is the obvious answer to their needs. Validating your assumptions with research sounds so simple, but you'd be surprised how many people actually skip this step. Entrepreneurs can either be big picture thinking or very detail oriented and execution focused. Getting out there, speaking to customers, putting out surveys and following up with phone calls are essential to the success of any business. You want to get to know your customers' problems as intimately as possible to think of the vast ways where you might actually help and solve it for them. Another obstacle is that founders experience a lot of anxiety from not knowing the how. How are you going to get from A to B? It's clear where you are now and there's no product. You know what you're looking to build, but the steps in between still remain a mystery. Now, even though mentors and advisors say to trust the process, a part of your mind is still stuck on this how. The most common way this issue surfaces is the kind of how of technology. Founders ask themselves, what tech will this be built in? It's, you know, going to need a recommendation engine. So that means I must need artificial intelligence or machine learning. So let me look for an expert in these areas and I'm going to need a mobile app. So I also need an app developer and I need a website. And before you know it, you're down the rabbit hole. The key out of this rabbit hole is to focus a little less on the solution, actually, and a bit less on the technology and to start with something until it becomes the solution. You have a lot of options available to you, but 
in almost all cases, it's pretty essential to start with no-code tools. What you want to look for is testing the demand and ideally seeing if you can already transact sales or contracts before you start development. These conversations and activities are crucial in helping you prioritize what is truly important in your first version. If you already have technology, but you're not happy with it, ask yourself what the most minimal changes that you can make such that you start to use it to validate with your customers. Because if you ask any founder, you will soon find out that all of their MVPs could have had even more features cut from it, which you know customers just didn't need or they didn't value. Setting aside this idea of an ideal becomes so important as you start to create your first prototypes. And a common misconception is that a prototype is supposed to be a slimmed down version of your ideal product, but actually instead, its primary purpose is to invoke a discussion. To invoke a discussion with your customer so you can figure out if a feature is missing, do they notice it? If they don't like the look, honestly, they will tell you. If it solves a problem for them, they will tell you. If they would use it or pay for it, they will tell you. And if it in some way is not helpful or not useful at all, they will tell you. It's these kinds of challenging but exciting conversations with future customers that you really need to have. And that scrappy prototype, which you'd actually be embarrassed to put out in the world, will quickly become kind of one of your most important tools to create your first real MVP. So you want to embrace the imperfection and the unknown. Now, the last topic I want to call out today is that it's no secret that entrepreneurship is tough. Overall, entrepreneurs are some of the loneliest people and they're 50% more likely to experience severe depression and anxiety than other adults. As you share your aspirations with your friends and your family, soon the business will kind of embed itself in your everyday life. Maybe you can relate to this, but when someone asks you how you're doing, um, you might end up answering with, yeah, the business is going okay. I'm currently working on, you know, adding this to the website. And soon enough, you're basically verbalizing your entire to-do list. Uh, I've definitely done this in the past. And so it's very normal to believe that a founder is hustling kind of 24-7. And as women, we're very familiar with the ideas of pressure and expectations. But the continuous demand that often we also place on ourselves can become crippling if not taken care of. Look at any established CEO and you soon realize that they employ a lot of help. From stylists to coaches to assistants to media training, their environments are set up so that they can focus on what matters most. You might be telling yourself that you need to cross a certain revenue mark before you can invest in these kind of luxuries, but it's essential to have the mindset that you need to think of yourself first. I mean, we can skip the stylist for now, but what are you actually doing for your mental health? How are you creating the clarity that you need to see and strategize and execute? You can counteract the loneliness, doubt and pressure by considering therapy and coaching. Investing in tailored one-on-one -on -one support helps you alleviate the feeling that you have to figure this all out by yourself and create the space for you to spot patterns and think clearly. I have a coach and honestly, I wouldn't really know what to do without her. 
and uh, and the team and the community that I'm in because you also want to know that you're not this alone. You can supplement your personal work by embracing communities and networks and call upon your fellow founders to share and celebrate your wins and also your burdens, right? Because at the end of the day, entrepreneurship is more of a marathon. And initially when you start running, it's, you know, you think, oh, I can do all of it in one go. But if we actually truly compare it with a marathon, it's perfectly normal to have to pause and catch your breath a few times, but also make sure to take care of yourself in the process. So these are just some of the obstacles that I go through in the article, but if you want to read the full piece, you can head over to startupsmagazine.com. They also run a fantastic podcast called Serial Entrepreneur, Serial as in breakfast, and have launched a new season all focused on women in tech. Recent episodes include conversation about diversity, NASA, and just what it's like being a woman in business. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, I really care about, you know, removing these challenges for women as they start their businesses in technology. I'd love to hear how it's going for you. What's going on? Where are your obstacles? What are your wins? Get in touch and tell me your story. I'm on maxime at cuttingthroughtech.com. For now, that's what I've had for you this week. Have a wonderful day and I will see you next time. Bye.